Uh, so good to be with you, whether you're joining us here on the lawn or you're joining us um, at home online in your pajamas. Uh, so, so good to be together. Uh, we started a, a, a series last week in the New Testament book of James, and uh, we are going to continue that here uh, this morning. Uh, the book of James is written to the church to remind us that the way you live will always prove your faith. And so James is writing to the church scattered all over the place, just reminding them of that. Hey, just keep in mind, you are continually proving your faith by the way that you live. No matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your world, no matter what's happening in your life. And in this section of scripture, he's going to essentially ask the question, what does your life show when it comes to dealing with temptation? How do you respond to temptation in your life because the way you fight temptation will prove something about your faith. If you have a copy of the Bible, James chapter 1, we are going to pick up in verse number 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. And here's what he says. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Now, when James uh, uses the word temptation, there is nothing lost in intergenerational or intercultural temptation. He is using the word the way you would use the word temptation if you were to use it. He is speaking about an inner desire for something forbidden. An inner desire for something Forbidden. In fact, he uses two words in this recipe for the definition of temptation. He uses the word desire and he uses the word evil. These are two key concepts in the whole idea of temptation. Desire. I really, really want it. But I really, really, really shouldn't. It sounds really, 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 really good to me. But I know it's a really, really bad idea. Desire and evil. I want it, but it's forbidden. And it's not forbidden because it's a cultural faux pas to wear white after Labor Day. No, it's forbidden because God has said in his word, don't do it. Temptation is whenever I want to think or feel or do something that God has said not to in his word. 
whenever I have an inner urge, an inner desire for something forbidden. Um, now, right away, as you read these couple of verses, James tells us some pretty key things about temptation, some key observations we want to make before we continue on in this conversation. And some of these will be really good for some of you to know, may even perhaps set you free a little bit. Um, just like was true with pain last week, one of the first things that stands out to me about temptation is it's common. Temptation is common. If you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, a la Chris Tucker, then you experience temptation. You have been tempted, you are being tempted right now, or you are going to be tempted. Temptation is common to every single one of us. It is inevitable. I'm sorry to bust your little Christian bubble if you had a fantasy of maybe one day reaching this level of spiritual maturity where you no longer struggle with temptation. Man, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Don't hold your breath. Don't wait up. That day ain't coming. Temptation is common to every body. Um, you're going to want to do naughty things. And the idea that there comes a time when you stop wanting that fake news. Don't buy it. It is not true. First word of verse 13. James says, when. He seems to like this word. When tempted, no one should say. When tempted, not if tempted, not as long as tempted, but when tempted. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. You are going to really, really, really want to reach for things that God has said. Nope. You are going to really, really, really want to experiment sexually outside of marriage. It is going to sound woo, really, really good. You're going to want to, even though God has said, nope. You're going to really, really, really want to say something about her ratchet self behind her back while she's not there. Even though God has said, no, don't, don't do that. You may even want to get high on occasion just to forget. Even though God has said, no. Uh, there are going to be moments when you are going to want to be quiet about Jesus around your friends because of what they might think about you. Even though God has said, nope, you are going to want to hold on to a grudge that you've been keeping towards somebody. Even though God has said, nope, you are going to want to hold on to your stuff, even though you're aware of needs and the call to be generous. And God has said, no, I just came to tell you temptation is common. It is inevitable. We are all going to want to do something forbidden. Sinful things are going to sound good to you. 
newsflash. That does not make you a terrible Christian. <laughs> it just makes you an alive one. It is common to all of us. If you never struggle with, never experience temptation, can I please have $3 million? Because you must be God. James says God cannot be tempted, but he's the only one. You will never get to an echelon where you become God. I'm sorry. As long as we live in this world, temptation is going to be a part of our experience. And I needed you to know that so some of you can stop being so self-deprecating because you're not there yet. You've not gone beyond the struggle yet. Temptation is common. Another thing that stood out to me is that temptation is customized. We all experience it, but we all experience it differently. Not everything that tempts me is going to tempt you. Not everything that tempts you is going to tempt me. And not everything forbidden is going to tempt either of us. There are forbidden things that will never appeal to your desire. But something always will. It's customized. Um, this is an interesting thought to me because in the context of the church, for some reason or another, I, we've given different sins, different ratings of forbiddenness. And I know it differs in different cultures, right? But they're just certain sins that the church considers woo, deeply dark and super diabolical. You do not want to be caught dealing with that situation. The problem with our rating system is what tends to happen is when I realize, like, wait a minute, I don't struggle with the ones the church deems extremely dark. I might be tempted to start to think, maybe I don't struggle with temptation after all. No, you just don't struggle with anything on the church's blacklist. Because temptation is customized to you. But I assure you, give us as your church family half an hour. And we might discover the way temptation is customized specifically to you. Temptation is customized. We experience it differently. You may never have the urge to overdrink. But when you are hurting, you do have the urge to overeat away your feelings. Lucky for you, in the church, that's one of those like, nah. But again, the measure is not the church. The measure is the word of God. And what he says is okay, and what he says is not. You may never have an urge to look at porn, but you may have an urge to look better than you really are in the eyes of other people. You're just fortunate that pride in the church is just like an, eh, it's a strength of leadership. It's customized. The thought of getting high for you is diabolical, does nothing for you. 
But the desire to bring somebody low, even on social media, you may even get some amens from the church on account of the fact that they belong to the opposing party. It's, it's, it's customized. You may never want to punch someone in their Adam's apple when you're mad. But to cut people out of your life, you're there. Just because you're not tempted by that does not mean you don't experience temptation. And I'm just saying that to the church. Otherwise, we might look at a passage like this and start to think, oh, Lord, this is so good for that sister on the other side of the lawn, that dude on the other end of the couch, because they really struggle with temptation. Oh, temptation is the inner urge to reach for something God has said not to, regardless of how the church may or may not rate it. And it may be different for you than it is for me, but for all of us, it is something. And if I don't acknowledge that, I can never begin to fight and deal with temptation and prove the legitimacy of my faith. Because I don't need it. Temptation is common but it's customized. We all fight different things. But here's the thing. If we are going to fight temptation well, we've got to understand a little bit better the way temptation works. And James does a masterful job just shining a light on the anatomy and the way temptation tends to work in our lives. Because if you're like me, don't you ever just feel like, I, I don't even know what happened. I feel like temptation just, just came out of the shadows and it got me. And the next thing I knew I was wrestling and losing and it, I don't even. James says, let me shine a light on the way temptation works. In fact, he lays out the stages of temptation. And I'm telling you, if we can understand the stages of temptation, we are better able to fight against it. Again, verse 13, here's what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, that's all of us, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Uh, for the first stage of temptation, uh, James borrows some language from the hunting world. Um, now, th the way it works from my firsthand experience talking to people who hunt, because uh, I have never done it in my life. I'm terrified of, of such things. Um, it's, it's different depending on what you're hunting. Uh, but this thing is true. When you hunt 
you are trying to figure out a way to draw your prey out of safety so that you can capture or kill one of God's delicious creatures. This is the way this thing works. And y'all will do some weird stuff, man. Like from spraying pee, spraying pee? Apparently, you know, to laying out corn, you know, to, 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 to putting lure on a, a, a hook, to making like fake bird or duck calls, whatever it takes. The goal is to lure your prey out of safety. And when that unsuspecting creature sees or, or sniffs or, or hears that bait, something in that creature says, ooh-wee, that sounds really good to me. I want me some of that right there. And it's lured out of safety into the scope, into the trap. Whatever brand of hunting you happen to do. And the rest, as they say, is obituary, right? This is the first stage of temptation. James would probably call it the desire stage. He uses the word dragged away. A better translation would be drawn out. For different ones of us, the bait will be different because it's customized. But the point is the same. It will trigger the same desire in us. He's talking about that moment when you see something or you smell something or you hear something or you are reminded of something and something in you says, ooh, hoo, hoo. that sounds good to me. I need some of that right there in my life and you are lured out from Safety, desire, desire. Let me just say, the desire stage where your urges are triggered, where your curiosity is, is piqued, when something in you stirs and says, I want, please hear me say this. This right here is always the best place to fight temptation. Always. Stage one, desire. I want it. It gets more difficult, messy, and complicated from there. When he sends you that thirsty midnight text and you know what it's about and you're like, ooh, ooh, that's the moment right there. When you want to take a second look and study, that's the moment right there. When you feel the urge rising up to, that's the moment 
right there to deal with temptation. That is the moment, church, in which you want to throw yourself at the mercy of God and say, would you please keep me in safe spaces? That's the moment when you want to make a call to the person you trust and invite them to let them know I'm triggered again. My appetite has been stirred and I'm, I'm starting to, to oh, pray for me. This is the moment where the church ought to go to war against temptation in the desire stage. When I become aware of the fact that I want to do, I want to reach for, I'm starting to just let the thoughts develop for that forbidden thing. Some of us are in the desire stage right now. Something in you has been piqued. You want something and you know it's forbidden and you know the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit, whether you're on the lawn or you're online or you're watching this later, is even as I speak to it, the Spirit will remind you of something you know that you are starting to be like, mm-hmm. Mm and I'm telling you, now is the best place to deal with, to fight temptation. In fact, the way you live will prove the legitimacy of your faith. And when it comes to temptation, the way you fight temptation at this stage is the difference between maturity and immaturity. It's not whether or not you want to do it. That's not where the difference is. The difference is what happens at stage one of temptation. Do I say, meh? If I don't deal with temptation at the desire stage, it is going to move to the next stage. And the next stage is the deception stage. The deception stage. Um, this is a stage in which we start to believe, hmm, maybe I can get what I want and get away with it. All right, Dory. Maybe I can just nibble around the hook and steal away with the shiny lure that looks so good to me. Maybe I can get it and get away with it. James says this is when we get enticed in verse number 14. We start to befriend lies about that forbidden thing. And here's what it looks like. We start to minimize, like, I mean, is it really that big a deal, though? Because it's not even on the church's blacklist. I mean, I'll just try it this one time. One time. Minimizing. We start to justify it. Well, I mean, we're not technically married, but we love each other. So the greatest command is love. They're justifying. Well, all the kids at school share answers anyway. So is it cheating if 95% of the kids do it? I don't know if. You're starting to befriend the lies. I know so many people who've done it and they've turned out fine. 
start to rationalize, right? But I think no one will ever find out, though. I think there's a way for no one to ever find out. I mean, the pictures disappear anyway, don't they? Rationalizing. God is such a gracious, yea, verily forgiving God. His mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So I'll just throw this one on his mercy tomorrow morning. Rationalized. Being enticed. Starting to become deceived. Lured further out of. Safety, And it's interesting, this stage, by the way, could last a second or it could last a semester. Where by midterms, you are contemplating something you would never have even considered a few weeks ago. Something you were telling your friends when you just got to campus that God says, but now you flirted with lies long enough and you continue to let those things linger instead of dealing with them in an earlier stage. Lured out of safety. Some of us, we're in the deception stage right now. The idea just doesn't sound as terrible as it once did. <laughs> you are arguing with your parents about it now. Some of you are in that stage right now. And the beauty of the presence of the Holy Spirit is he will stir you to know if that's you. If there's a willingness for that to happen. For some of us, we're in that stage right now where we, we are no longer talking to those pesky friends of ours who we used to invite into our world and share some of our struggle with because we have no interest in what they have to say anymore. Only the friends who will tell me what I want to hear. Some of us in that stage, we're negotiating. Okay, okay, listen, but promise me you won't show anyone. You gotta promise me you won't tell anyone though. Negotiation. You've created that secret account just in case. Just in case. Some of us are in the deception stage right now, and James would say, danger. Danger. This is a critical. Stage, And I'll tell you why. Um, James says in verse 15, if you allow your desire to hang around with deception for long enough, those two going to get super freaky and they will conceive. That's the language he uses. Desire will conceive if you allow it to be justified and rationalized and you just allow the thoughts to wander and go without dealing with them and they will give birth to sin. 
The reason this is such a crucial stage is this is where it starts to transition from temptation into sin. If you don't address temptation at the deception stage, it will lead to the decision stage. The decision stage. You justified and you rationalized what you wanted, and there came a moment when you finally signed off. Where you said, sin, I'm in. You may not have said those words out loud. You may not even have thought them consciously. But if you hang around in the deception stage, there always comes a moment when you choose to sign off. Where you decide to keep going. Where you decide to sin. And I feel like I want to say that one more time. There comes a moment when you decide to sin. There comes a moment when you decide. I just want to say that again because you can't blame anybody. It is nobody's fault. That's how James starts his whole conversation. Don't try and blame God. He didn't do it. You decided. Don't try and blame the devil. He didn't do it. He may be a tempter, but at the end of the day, you're the decider. You did it. You chose it. Whether you remember the moment or you remember the day or whatever, but you decided. There comes a time. Stop it with the victim thing like some sin happened. I don't even know what happened. I just fell into sin. No, you didn't. You chose it every time. No, no, it happened to me. James uses language that I think is so powerful for us as a church, by the way, because if I'm a victim to sin, I can't do anything to address it. But no, you courted deception. And then you decided, you didn't just react in traffic. You know the stories we tell. I don't even know what happened. You know, I just, I just reacted. No, you let deception lead to a decision. It may have happened in a quick second. <laughs> but at some point, you believed a lie. You were like, you know, my agenda is more important than your agenda. And, and where I'm going is more important than where you're going. How dare you cut me off in traffic? Do you know how important I am? And then the gestures ensue. Now, you may feel like it just happened. I just reacted. No, you chose. I just wish we could just write that down. I decided. You cannot start to repent, by the way, and move back until you recognize it's on me. I decided. Some of us might be at the decision stage of temptation right now. We've decided. We're, we're going to give in to something. And even as I speak, something comes to mind, a way that you know that you have signed off and you've embraced and moved in that direction. 
um, if you don't stop, if you don't deal with sin at the decision stage, I've got to tell you, it gets painful. It eventually leads to the death stage is what James calls it. That's not good news. If you continue in your decisions to sin, your sin will grow almost as though taking a life of its own. I don't know if you knew that. The more you give in to sin, the more it grows. And the scariest thing about it is oftentimes the more comfortable we are actually getting with it. Unaware of the fact that it is growing and growing in power, in strength. The more I sign off on a sin, the stronger it becomes until eventually it overpowers me. And the thing I chose to run after, I can't choose to run away from. It's still on me, but I've given over power. I've given over strength. James says in verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin starts to grow. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Things in you, things around you, start to experience destruction. Death. Some of us are there right now. I do wonder if some of us are in the place where we are experiencing the death of conscience. Remember when that sin used to bother you? And now you don't just defend it. You indulge it with no feeling at all. You can hurt people, say the most cruel things, listen to the most vile hit song, and be like, eh, I don't feel anything, nothing. Porn, hangovers, meh. There is a death of conscience. Something has died. I'm telling you, if you are at the place where you can just do things that used to bother you and they don't bother you anymore, something has died or is dying. For some of us, it's, it's the death of sensitivity. You don't even notice that you haven't heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit in ages. Right? While you get a buzz for a moment, 
the voice that truly satisfies has been muted. Death of sensitivity because you've continued to sign off over and over and over again. For some of us, it's the death of joy. You experience high moments, but not happy seasons. You have to keep going back for a bigger dose to get that high moment again, but you've lost your joy. You've lost your luster for life. Your joy has been stolen. The death of joy, the death of relationships for some of us. We can't be close to anyone because we don't want anyone to know what we're doing in this relationship that has now drawn us out of community into secrecy and it's just us and we fake it everywhere we are and the relationships around us have died. James says if you don't deal with it, it will grow up and it will grow too strong for you to deal with by yourself. Until finally it feels like there's been a death of choice, which is scary. The desire for that forbidden thing kicks in. The urge kicks in. <clears throat> you can't eat. There's not even negotiation. There's no rationalization. You just run to it. Now you're a slave. This is what happens when we start to deal with addiction. I've lost any power and ability to say no. From trigger to giving in, and I cannot stop. And if you ask me, I think sometimes it's just death. You continue down a path. I Listen, study the scriptures for yourself. There are passages of scripture in your 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Hand this person over to Satan so that their body may be done with to preserve their soul. I wonder if there aren't times when God is like, if I let you keep going, you'll just, almost as an act of mercy. Like, mm. there's a verse in, 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 in the Psalms, you know, Psalm 32, where David is lamenting some of the choices he has made and continue to hide them. And he says, I feel like my body is physically wasting away. I'm becoming a fraction of who I am. I am literally dying physically because of the sin that I've not dealt with. I'm just saying, I don't want to test or experiment how this works. But I think there may be times when it's just physical in what James might be describing. Um, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. And if you ask me, that way out is usually at the beginning, in the desire stage. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. However, 
I believe there is always a way out. And the way out, by the way, has a name. And his name is Jesus. I think he always provides a way out in the desire stage. But for some of us, we've just blown through those roadblocks and we may be in the death stage. And I just wanted to announce to you, there is still a way out. Because even though that sin may have gotten too strong for you, ours is a savior who made a way out of death. So even in the stage of death, Jesus has a way of Come on, somebody. I know someone at home is saying amen, even though the people on the lawn may be quiet. There is always a way out in the person of Jesus Christ. Woo! I love the fact that addiction may be too strong a chain for you to break, but not for him. Waymaker. He's a miracle worker. He's a chain breaker. There is always a way out in the person of Jesus Christ. And I just came to announce to somebody, regardless of what stage of temptation you are at, the answer is the same. It is throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus and saying, oh, would you please help me with this desire? Would you please speak truth to the lies in this deception stage? Would you please give me the strength to make a different decision than the decision I'm making? And would you please resurrect me from this place of death? The answer is the same and the answer is a person. Here's the question. How do you respond to temptation? <laughs> the answer is always the same. You make a beeline for the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to speak specifically to those of you who may be in the death stage of temptation. It is the simplest thing to run to Jesus. It is acknowledging that I did this. I am sorry. It's on me. I am sorry. I got to this place. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry I did it. Would you please forgive me? And for some of you who may be willing to say that maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, can I tell you his response is always going to be, yes, I will forgive you if you are sorry. The other response is to say to him, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I've been hiding. I've been lying. I've been trying everything I know to get out. I'm stuck. I do not have enough strength to get out of this space. Would you please set me free? And the same one who will forgive the person who's sorry will free the person who's stuck. But you've got to come to him in humility and you've got to come to him in honesty and you've got to come to him without making excuses, without justifying, without rationalizing, without blaming what your dad did. It is just throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. We're going to take communion here in a moment, and that's what that represents. It represents a movement of people who have run to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and we've run to Jesus to free us from the places in which we are stuck. Um, if you don't have a communion element, by the way, I'd encourage you to go grab one from Olivia. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have one, please go grab one. Let me read one so we can, man, wrap up and, and, and 
get out of here or you can wash your face or whatever you're doing at home. Here, here it is. Hebrews chapter 4. I love this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one, I don't know if you knew this about Jesus, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The only way Jesus can be our rescuer is because he never sinned. Be awesome for you to process that with some of your discussion groups. At what stage do you think Jesus experienced it and how did it look for him? That's one of the questions for this week. And verse 16, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. I'm saying this to anybody and everybody, regardless of what stage of temptation you may be, or even if you're not sensing a stage of temptation right now. Verse 16, Hebrews chapter 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. <laughs> I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you're planning to do tonight. I don't care how messed up you felt for how long you felt messed up. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not because of your track record, but because of Jesus who did not sin. I love this. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of struggle. There is a mercy at the throne available for anyone who's willing to say, I'm sorry, or willing to say, I'm stuck. And Jesus is willing to say, I've been to the place of temptation, and I know the way out. And I've been to the most stuck place, and I made a way out. Come on, get some mercy from me. So even as we take communion, if you're a follower of Jesus... This is just a moment for us to be reminded Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven by his death and resurrection. Jesus has made a way for us to be free by breaking out of the grave. Temptation does not have to win and have the last say if we continue to run back to him over and over. And so I'm going to say to you, if you are here, and you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, then I would invite you to share in communion with us. And we're going to eat this bread, wafer, wafflette together. And it is representative of the body of Christ, which was broken for our forgiveness. And I'm going to invite you, if you receive his forgiveness, to say this out loud with me. Your body was broken for me. Say that with me. Your body was broken for me. Let's eat. And if you've received his forgiveness, I would invite you to repeat after me, even as we drink this drink that symbolizes his blood that cleanses us of our sins over and over. And his blood that breaks every chain over and over. I'd invite you to say this with me. Your blood was shed for me. Your blood was shed 
for me. Let's drink. I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. Um, I do want to say this. If you are at different stages of temptation, um, I would just invite you not to wrestle alone, not to struggle alone but that you would reach out to us as your church family or you would reach out to somebody that you know and just let them know where you're at. Hey, as I've wrestled through this conversation about temptation, I need to let you in on this is where I've been, this is where I am, this is what Jesus is doing. The devil's favorite strategy in temptation is to lure us out of community with other people into isolation. That's how he hunts. And so I'd encourage you to involve other people. We're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, but involve other people. Don't journey alone. Don't live in the shadows of secrecy. So I'm going to say a prayer for um, all of us before we're dismissed. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. Thank you for Jesus Christ who gets it when it comes to our temptation and yet was victorious in every moment. Help us to run to him for victory. Thank you for Jesus who overcame death. Help us to run to him even when we've gotten to the point of being stuck. He is stronger than sin. He is stronger than the grave. He is stronger than death. He is stronger than every chain. And I pray that today many will be running to you and that in about 25 minutes when we're tempted again, we would run to you. And later on when we're tempted again, we would run to you over and over and over and over again. That that would be our response to temptation. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your freedom. Return to many of us the joy of your salvation even now in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, good to see you. We look forward to being together next week. Invite somebody and come on back. God bless everyone.